Good morning, January 21st, 2018, which means we're one week away from wrapping up our 21 days of prayer and fasting. Um, I hope it's been uh, beneficial for you, for those that have been participating. I know that there have been people that have made a conscious choice to participate in different ways. Um, Again, just as a reminder, um, this is about what you are doing and what your response is to God. It's not about what the people around you are doing. You participate the way that you choose to participate. Um, Every week, I want to take a few moments and kind of dispel a myth or maybe give you a word of encouragement around fasting. Uh, This week, I want to... uh, encourage you uh, that the benefits of fasting are not necessarily always short-term. Many times they're long-term. So if you are seeking God for something over the last few weeks and you're looking into this week and you're still looking for answers, uh, you still have not received what it is that you believe that you need. Remember, fasting is about conforming our will to God. It's not about twisting God's arm. Uh, We draw closer to him and he speaks to us, uh, which is wonderful. But in the process, if you are finding yourself a little discouraged because maybe nothing has changed, stay the course. Uh, Just because you don't see it today doesn't mean that it isn't happening. And that's important for us to remember during the fast. Uh, I want to give you a quick illustration in scripture. And what I mean by that, there's a story in the book of Daniel, where Daniel was a man who loved God and served God. And when Israel uh, was was overtaken by Babylon, Daniel was was brought into the Babylonian uh, captivity. Uh, He was a man that was well-respected by the people of Babylon. And uh, he received a vision And during that vision, uh, it was a vision of an impending war that was going to happen uh, to the nation. Unaware of what it meant, uh, he went to the Lord in prayer and fasting for 21 days. And the response that God gave through one of the angels begins in verse 12 of Daniel 10. And I just want to show this to you. Then he continued, Do not be afraid, Daniel, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard. And I have come in response to them. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. Now, I have come to explain to you what will happen to your people in your future, for the vision concerns a time yet to come. It's not uncommon for some of the things that we do with regard to prayer and fasting to not result in an immediate answer. We live in a, in a world that is a microwave society. We do, we receive, we do, we receive. That's not the way it works with Christianity and not the way it works with relationship with God. We fast because we want God to be able to change us. And in the process of saying our stomach is not the priority, but our spiritual health is the priority. God begins to work out change in us. And I just want to encourage you during this time, if you're, if you're discouraged or maybe you're losing a little uh, insight or some hope into the situation, keep going. Don't stop. If the Lord's asking you to continue to be a part, don't give up. And trust him that the things that he's going to do in you through this three-week window and through the rest of the year will become more and more evident. Make sense? You with me on that? Just every year I hear people get discouraged about it. Well, I didn't get what I thought. Well, maybe you're not supposed to receive what you think that you were looking for, but there are always benefits that go through the whole year when we choose to pray and we choose to fast. So I just wanted to bring that up to you this morning. Um, Last week we kicked off our 2018 series called Thrive and uh, look at how we can listen for God, we can learn from God, and how we will live for God. It's going to be kind of our basis and our focus, not just for January, but it's really going to be throughout the entire year, that God wants Christians, he wants followers of Christ to be able to thrive in this world. 
if we aren't people that know how to thrive, and what I mean by the definition of thrive, I mean by knowing God and making him known. If we know God, the creator of the universe, if we can have intimate relationship with the creator of the universe by being able to hear his voice, by being able to obey his word, to learn from his scripture and then live it out into the world, we will thrive because we will be living for the world really that we are actually created for. You know, the Bible actually speaks very clearly that when we make a decision to follow Christ, we're actually aligning ourselves with the purpose that God originally created us to walk in, which is not to live on this world forever. It's to know him. It's to be in relationship with him. It's to be able to hear the voice of the creator, to be able to apply that word and to be able to live for him, which means he becomes the center of who we are and our, vo- and our eyes don't just focus on the things of this world, but our eyes focus on the things for eternity. And then we're, po- we're poised to not just think about that in our own lives, but we're poised to be able to speak that truth to people all around us. So I don't know what your backgrounds are, and I don't know where everyone's coming from today, but I believe in my heart of hearts that the Church of Jesus Christ is not can, uh, created to simply just survive and to look like everybody else. Followers of Christ are supposed to be filled with life to be able to reach other people. Jesus said it, and here's that verse, John 10, 10. The thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. I said abundantly because that was my translation. They said more full, actually, in JBQ. So we're both right, okay, just for the record, okay? Have more abundantly. Have a full life. To live abundantly is what Jesus has created us for through him. And I want to start and be very direct about this, but I say it cautiously and lovingly. You cannot experience the kind of life that God has called you to live if you do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. If you've never given your life to Christ and made him the Lord and Savior, believe in the work that he did on the cross as a payment for the forgiveness of your sins so that you can be forgiven in relationship with God. If you've never made that decision to live for him, you cannot experience true life. You could say that sounds really like intentionally like direct and specific. It is. You can experience temporary joy and pleasure in this life, but it will not sustain you. True contentment, true peace, true joy only comes by knowing Christ. And that's the beginning of where it all starts. How do we do this? We focus. And you saw the words that were up there a few, a few minutes ago about listening for God. Last week, we talked all about listening for God that we can hear the voice of God in our lives. Do you know that you can hear God speak to you? I wonder how many of us could say, and I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but if you've ever heard God speak to you, the different ways I listed last week of how he speaks to us through the Bible and circumstances, through the church, through prayer, if you've ever spoke, and he always does it through his Holy Spirit, but if you've ever heard God speak to you, it changes you. It changes the way you see things. I'd rather have one word from God than a million words from man. We need to be able to listen for God. We need to focus. We need to be able to learn from God, to know his word. And next week, we're going to talk about how we live for him. But listening for God is so important. It's what we talked about last week and intentionality. Are you living intentionally? Do I live intentionally? Am I willing to focus my time and my resources? Because if you don't focus your time, if you don't focus your resources, if you don't separate yourself from the the, the noise of the world to be able to listen to the still small voice of the Spirit speaking to you, you'll miss it. You don't want to miss them. 
And the devil knows that the best way to keep you from hearing the voice of God is to keep you too busy to hear him. Just keep you too inundated with stuff. Today, we're not going to talk so much about listening from, for God. That was last week. This week, we're going to talk about learning from God. And the question that I have for you to contemplate as we look at the message is, why should I read the Bible? Why should I read the Bible? I wonder how many of us have ever asked ourselves that question or asked somebody else that question, why you should read the Bible. The years back when I was in corporate, still in the pharmaceutical industry, and I started my, my work uh, in seminary back in the early 2000s, I remember talking to one of my colleagues about my plans, and he asked me, uh, he said, what are you doing, and why are you going to school? I said, I'm going to seminary. And he says, why? I said, I just, I just really need to know, and I want to learn more about the Bible. I want to know more about God's Word. And he looked at me, and I still remember his face. He just smiled, and he went, why? Why? You know, like... You know, when a face, you know, they say a picture says a thousand words. This one said like a million. And I was like, yeah, you don't understand it. And that's okay. But how many people, when you hear this question, you know, why should I read the Bible actually would have a valid response to say, I don't know. What's the point of reading the Bible? Well, it's got good information in there that can help you live your life. Okay. That sounds like a self-help book. There's a lot of books like that. And the New York Times is full of them. There's more to it, why you should read the Bible. People have different opinions of what this book actually is, and it influences their responses. When I was in high school, my senior year, I was in English class. And I remember after we studied a few other books, the teacher told us, he said, now next week we're starting a project, and, and I, I need to do this. He goes, we're, we're going we're gonna to read from the Bible for the next number of months. And I was like, Wow. This is, we're going to read from the Bible in a public school in English class? And the guy said, well, I just want to make sure that everyone knows, though, the reason why we're doing it. He said, it is solely to examine its literary content. We're not going to have debates and spiritual debates about anything. We're simply going to read for its literary content. So as my one friend told me, we opened to the book of Job. <laughs> he said, I don't get this, Paul. You read this, right? I'm like, yeah. He goes, why is there a book about employment in the scripture, in the Bible? And I'm like, it has nothing to do with work. And I said, it's a man's name. It doesn't have anything to do with employment. But we were studying it to look at the literature, literary content of it. Silly. Everyone has a different opinion of Scripture. Reading alone isn't the only goal. Why should we read the Bible? Well, this is why I believe we should read the Bible, because reading the Bible renews our mind so God can transform our heart. If you read the Bible, and I don't mean read just to learn in your mind. I mean inform yourself so that God can transform you. He has opportunity to make you look more like his son. And he does it through his word. Now, how many times did I grow up over the years, or over the years that I hear this? You know, when I was a little kid, read your Bible. When I would go to church, bring your Bible. We'd grow up, we'd do sword drills when I was a kid. That's a whole new generation that doesn't do stuff like this. But how many of you remember a sword drill when you were a little kid? Sword drill, what's that? Well, the Bible, the Word of God is the sword, you know, the sword of the Spirit. You'd pick your Bible up. Who could get to the Bible passage faster? It was like our version of JBQ, and I was the bomb at it, just so you know. Okay? <laughs> you wouldn't know that today by watching what the kids are doing, but I was really good at it. Where was it in the Bible? And we would do that, and we would learn. All these years I've heard, read your Bible, read your Bible, read your Bible. It's really important for us to hear that, but what's more important is for us to understand what I'm trying to say here, that it renews our mind. 
It renews our mind so that God can transform our heart. All of us need a transformed heart. All of us know, if we're being honest with ourselves, that we can't actually change anything about ourselves on our own. Our heart is intuitively evil and sinful. I did not grow up learning how to be selfish by reading books. I did not grow up learning how to steal my friend's toys in elementary school by reading books. I didn't learn how to rob my third grade teacher from her toys in her drawers during fire drills from books. Okay? You're going, are you kidding me? Absolutely true story, man. I had it all planned out. I am so thankful my parents don't live near here and come to church on Sunday morning. My mom would be mortified to hear that story. But I did. Third grade. Fire alarm. I was the last one out. Raided her drawers. Took all her stickers. Took her markers. Stick them in my drawer. I did it because I wanted them. Nobody had to teach me to be selfish. Nobody has to teach you to be selfish. We can't fix this on our own. Only God can fix it. This is why it's so important. Because the Bible doesn't just address our lives. It doesn't just address our behaviors. It addresses our beliefs. And if we can change our beliefs, we can change our thoughts. And if we can change our thoughts, we can change our actions. And when we change our actions, we change our lives. That's the way it works. God wants us to know that his word gets right to the core of what makes us who we are. That he says, I need you to change foundationally what you say you believe. Because if you foundationally believe the right thing, it will influence your thoughts. Case in point. For example, if I fully believe in my mind that I am fearfully and wonderfully made because God's word says I am fearfully and wonderfully made. What does that mean? It means God doesn't make a mistake, everybody. It means you're not an accident. There are people that walk through this entire world believing that they're an accident, believing that they were unwanted by family members or parents or, or that they were less than someone else. If you really believe in your heart that the Bible says you are made by God and loved by God. If that's what you believe, it will influence how you think. I am loved by God. God has a desire and a purpose to know me. I am a valuable person. Changes the way I act. Now I want to act in a way that shows that I have worth. I want to act in a way to others to show them that they have worth. And if you continue to do that over and over and over again, what does it do? It changes your life and it changes the lives of people around you. The Bible is about influencing what we believe that change our thoughts, that lead to our change in actions, that ultimately can change our lives. The 19th century Baptist preacher Charles Spurgeon said this about the Bible. He said, a Bible that's falling apart usually belongs to someone who isn't. Super powerful. A Bible that's falling apart is usually belongs to someone who isn't. How often over the years can I think of the people that I've known in my life some of the spiritual leaders, and I go back to their own Bibles and I see the things that they've done or maybe at their funerals or their services when they still have the Bible they've had for 20 years or 30 years and there's notes after notes and markings and you know people don't want to, if, if, if you've done that to one of your Bibles, you don't want to get rid of it. 
right? Like, I don't like the fact that they change translations every once in a while. And now this is the new translation that you have to use. I'm like, no, I'm like, the Bible that I've used is the same translation. And I got to start all over again. I don't want to do that. I mean, I've been using the same preaching Bible that I've had for the last 10 years. And, and look what's happened to it. I didn't do this for today. Like, this has just happened to it, you know, a couple months ago. And I had somebody say, you know, we have to get you a new Bible. And I was like, heck no. I'm like, I want this one. I'll glue it. I'll do what I have to do. I already have duct tape all over the front of it to keep it going. Why? Because there's notes in these Bibles. There's references that God used to speak to me at different times that I want to be aware of. The Word of God isn't just a book. It's designed to change the way we believe so it can affect how we think. So that it will change the way you act and it will change your life and the life of those around you. Do you believe it? That's where it begins. You've got to be able to believe it. Here's what God's word says in Psalm chapter one about reading the word of God and why we need to be people who read the word of God. The first three verses, look at verse one with me. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. Look, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. Let's stop there for a second. The writer is saying that if you want to be blessed, okay, and I don't mean financially blessed, I don't mean quality of life blessed in terms of uh, material things, he's saying true blessedness, as one translation says, oh, the happiness or the kind of contentment that you can have that passes all understanding. How many of us would want to have the kind of contentment in this life that passes all understanding, that you can just be at peace with the things around you? I wish, I wish that I could be like that all the time. But what he's saying is you can be blessed and experience true contentment by knowing God. And this is how you do it. You don't do the things that the world does. This is all he's saying here. You don't walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way of the sinners or sit in the company of mockers. It's just a progression of what he's saying there. Don't start with the small things or graduate to the larger sinful things. Do not make that your priority. If you want to be a person of contentment and to know God and experience a true life of peace to impact your life and those around you, he says, delight in the law of the Lord and meditate on his law day and night. Now, delight actually means to go to. It means what is your go-to thing? Delight yourself. What do you delight yourself in? I delight myself in a lot of different things. But what is the default when you experience things in life for enjoyment? What do you delight yourself in? What is the go-to? For different people, it's different things. Our delights usually involve things like medication. We medicate in different ways when we're looking for Res, uh, when we're looking for a break from something. Maybe we're experiencing a difficult thing and we just need rest, so we medicate sometimes. Sometimes we actually literally medicate with illegal substances because it feels good for a time. There are plenty of people all around this world that medicate with illegal substances because it numbs the pain. Right? Maybe they drink their problems away and they medicate that way. Because I don't want to deal with the situation. I don't have a solution to it. So I just don't want to think about it for a while. So we use things like illegal substances. Or we drink our problems away with alcohol. Maybe it's not something like that. Maybe it's entertainment. 
You know, entertainment can be a medication. Have you ever thought about that before? I know it is for me in different times. First semester, I was done with seminary work in 2004. My wife still says, we've talked about it sometimes. I, she says, I just, I didn't realize how tired you really were until the first semester was over and you sat on the couch for like three or four days and did really absolutely nothing except played asteroids. I did. I had one of those little arcade boxes, you know, those toys that like fit all the games that, you know, when you were like in the seventies that you grew up and the Atari 2600 was like a big deal. Anybody know the Atari 2600, you know, but there's a whole group of people here. They're like, what's that? I don't know what that is. So the Atari 2600, now you can get every game ever invented in the Atari 2600 in like a little box and you plug it into your TV. And I played asteroids. It's like one of the best games of all time. It was awesome. And it just had like a little triangle that would just fly around the screen. I just shoot everything. And it was so fun. And I just sat there for like three days because it was, I was, my, my mind was mush and I medicated it by just playing games for a while. Now are video games wrong? No, but is that the go-to for me? Is that the default that when I'm looking for comfort, I'm looking for peace, for clarity. I don't run to the word of God. I run to things. Then it becomes a problem. Maybe you medicate with entertainment. I used to, and I still do, love watching comedians. I'm a comedian junkie. I like watching guys that are just funny. Not inappropriate funny. And they're getting harder and harder to find. But I like funny that's clean funny. And it just makes me laugh. And man, I'm like, man, that just makes me feel good when they say ridiculously crazy stuff and it just makes me feel good inside. Is it bad to do that? Of course not. Unless I'm replacing my time with God for time with that. Then it becomes a problem. Scripture says, delight yourself in the Lord. Delight yourself in the, in the law of the Lord. What is he talking about, the law of the Lord? Well, in Psalms, he's actually referring to the first five books in the Old Testament because that's really all they had for the Old Testament back then, the first five books. And he's saying, the word of God needs to be the go-to for the things that you struggle with. That's where you're going to experience true peace and true contentment. Maybe you don't medicate yourself the ways I mentioned. Maybe you medicate yourself with food. You know, I, aside from illegal substances, you know, every example I'm giving you, I'm, I'm guilty of in different times and different places. I love to eat. I love it. Anybody else here love to eat? In the first, all right, we have more honest people in this service. The first service, there were like six people that raised their hand. I'm like, the rest of you are liars. I'm like, everybody likes to eat, right? I don't know anybody that just says, I just hate to eat. I just refuse to eat. I have to eat once a day, and that's about it. I don't know anybody that says that. Food is awesome, especially around like parties and stuff like that. Man, food is awesome. There are some things, and can I tell you, like when the pressure's on for people, you ever like, you know, stress eating? You know, like people are just like stress eating. They just, they, they just go to the refrigerator because it makes them feel better just for a moment. You know, I mean, I had something ordered the other night when I was getting something at a restaurant and I just kept looking at the clock. I'm like, it's going to be here soon. It's going to be here soon. I was excited about it. Cause I was like, I can't wait to eat that. It's going to be so much fun. Seriously. I actually thought that it's ridiculous, but you know, you know, some of you have the same problem. <laughs> Love it. Of course, there's nothing wrong with eating. God wants us to be healthy physically, right? But he doesn't want food to be the go-to. He wants his word to be the go-to. That's why fasting is so powerful. 
It's so powerful because when your body is crying out to fill the need with something temporary, you tell your stomach that it is not in control of you, that you are in control of it. And your spirit man begins to flourish because your flesh needs to take the back seat. You with me today? Here I'm going with it. It's just important for us to remember. Medicaid is one of the things that we tend to do. We also try to avoid. People are really good at avoiding sometimes. But ultimately, true delight comes from being the go-to source where the word of God is the go-to source for our hope and for our peace. Look what happens when this is what happens. Verse 3. That person who delights themselves in the Lord, that person who meditates on his law, is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. He's saying if you want to be blessed, you need to delight yourself in the word, the word of God. You need to meditate on it. And now meditation is not what maybe some people think. You know, we're not going to close our eyes and fold our hands and cross our feet and go, um, that's not what he's talking about. It looks more like being in a kitchen Do we have any bakers here? People like to bake? Anybody? Like, I like to bake. Not really. No. I like like to bake desserts. Last year, I tried to do cannolis. You know, they were awesome. I'm just telling you, they were really good. I made the shells and everything. But making the mix, I remember looking at the the, um, ingredients, and it said, you know, you have to mix them one at a time, and you've got to thoroughly mix it through. Because the last thing you want to do is, like, have, like, a cannoli filling, and inside the cannoli, there's, like, a lot of cheese on one side, and there's a big lump of sugar. Like, that would be gross. You know, and you don't want to have just like all cream on one side and just a big wad of chocolate chips on the other. You got to mix it all through the batch so it's evenly distributed and it's well blended. That's what meditation is of the Word of God. That you take the Word, you allow it to be planted in your mind, and then you give it time to mix and settle in your life. And it's only through that time process where it begins to bake into you that God begins to transform you. That's what he's talking about here. But what he says is the person that does this is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. You know what's so great about this is that it says it yields its fruit in season. But really what that's saying is every season of life, you can yield fruit. That's actually what it means. It doesn't mean that of the four seasons that we live in in this world, one of them will yield fruit and the other three will just be withered and dry. No, what it's saying is every season you are in, you will have the ability to yield fruit. I think we understand that a little bit better in the areas of life when things are going well, right? When things are going well or we're on the mountaintop, we can yield fruit. We can demonstrate the peace of God and the patience of God. Well, you know, let's, let's be honest. It's it's really easy to love people when things are going well. It's really easy to be generous when things are going well financially. It's really easy to live for God when temptation is not at your door. And you can bear fruit in some of those things, but you can also bear fruit when you're going through difficult moments, when you're in a dry season, when you're in a desert When maybe your life feels like it's more like a winter right now than it feels like it's a spring with new life. You can bear fruit in every season, but we have to be able to take the word of God and we need to let it stir in our hearts and transform us so that whatever we do prospers. So let me just give you an illustration of what this looks like. So I have two plants here on the stage. It's not for decoration. I'm not that creative. Not that this is creative. 
Because um, <laughs> it's not. They're like, hey, wasn't those for Christmas? They were from Christmas. Yes, Pastor Matt didn't throw them away. So we, he took them in his office. These are good. But they're a great illustration. Here's why. These represent what's going on in our minds. The Bible is very clear that when we trust in Christ, we have the mind of Christ. Paul says this in Corinthians. We have the mind of Christ deposited in us. The presence of the Holy Spirit, the mind of Christ, which means we have the ability by surrendering our will to God to think and look more like Jesus. That our actions and our priorities, our focus can be more and more like Jesus and he can change the way we believe and how we think to influence how we act and how we live. That's what's going on. We have the mind of Christ. So this is kind of the mind of Christ over here on this side. Okay, But we're still fleshly people that live in a sinful world and we have the mind of man as well. We struggle back and forth. Paul says in Romans 7, the things that I don't want to do, I end up doing, and the things that I do, I don't want to do. And he goes back and forth, and he struggles with this. These are diametrically opposed to each other. You cannot nurture both of them at the same time. You cannot serve them at the same time. Jesus says this in Matthew when he says, you cannot serve two masters. You either serve one or you serve the other. Are you with me today? This is what's going on. So the one that we nurture is the one that grows. So as we nurture one of them by being open, by being available, by being humble, we come over here and say to the mind of Christ, we nurture this one. We water it. We expose it to the light. We'll give him control over our lives. We allow these things. And he really just starts to just flourish. And great things start to happen in our lives because we already have the mind of Christ as we trust in Christ. He grows in his ability to influence us in our lives because we allow him to do so. Not because he's less powerful if we don't. We allow him to do so. And that's what happens in this situation. But sometimes we don't nurture the mind of Christ. We instead nurture the mind of man. And we come over over to this guy and we start nurturing him. We water him. We pay more attention to the things of the world. We feed ourselves with the things of the world. We expose our eyes and our ears and our time to things that are not of God. And we feed this part of our minds. Can I tell you, the one that you nurture the most is the one that you will look more like. The one that I nurture the most is the one that I will look more like. If I live in a world that continues to tell me, you're only as valuable as you look in comparison to people that are famous in this world. The true measure of beauty looks like these people that are on the silver screen in Hollywood. And if you nurture that, if you believe that, then this is going to increase. And what Jesus is trying to tell you over here is, like I said earlier, you're more valuable than you could ever imagine because I died for you. I loved you when you were unlovable. That's what he says. But the mind of the world says you need to perform to be accepted. The mind of Christ says there's nothing more that you can do to be loved more. You with me? See how it works? Which one are we going to believe? The one that you believe will determine which one actually impacts the way that you live. So we continue to walk this journey out and we continue. And I hear people all the time over the years say, I'm just consumed with a mind of thoughts about my value or I'm stuck in these temptations or these addictions and and I can't seem to break through these things. And and, okay, well, what are you doing with your time is always the first question I want to ask people. What do you do with your time? 
Can I be more specific? How much of this word is part of your time? Because here's what I do know. When you open the word of God and you let the word of God transform you, you naturally move away from the mind of man and begin moving towards the mind of Christ. It's not possible to be in the word and to hear truth and to let God, as you meditate on it, change you and stay over here with the mind of man. It's not possible. You naturally move away. But when we fill ourselves with things that are not of God, when we allow the world to be more of our inputs and more of the things that change us come from what man creates, the mind of Christ sits idle and he waits and he hopes and he gently and methodically and lovingly whispers saying, if you would only get back in my word and listen to what truth is, and hear what truth is, you would see that you don't want to nurture this one anymore. You want to nurture this one because it will change the way that you see yourself. It will change the way you live and it will change the way you impact others. This gets harder to do the the older we get. That's why it's so important when I think about our JB Cures that were here today. I mean, listen, some of those kids, man, they took scripture. Wasn't that impressive to see what they could do? So impressive. You know, I mean, thank God they didn't give question numbers today. All, you know, three of us, Pastor Rob and Pastor Matt were like, all three of us are, thank you that they didn't give question numbers associated with it because the kids know the question number associated with the question. So you'd say question five, beep, and we'd say, well, I don't know, what's question five? Then they say the whole question and then they give the answer because they know it that well. As a young child, they're taking, and the leaders and the teachers are taking the word of God and they're planting it in the hearts of every one of these kids. And they're taking the facts and the knowledge of scripture. And if they will, they're adding tools into their toolbox for the rest of their life. And the tools will continue to grow. And the bigger your toolbox, the more effective they're going to have to do whatever God wants them to do. And to heal however they would want to be or needed to be healed. Now, when they're this young, they have limited understanding of application. But as they continue to grow, the application becomes more relevant to them because they'll be faced with different things in the world that they have to address. And they can ask themselves in that moment, do I look to what the world tells me is truth or do I look to what God tells me is truth? And where did they learn it from? They learned it from his word. You with me? See how it works? This is so, so, so important to do it when we're younger, to do it when our kids are younger. My goodness, I can tell you over and over again, when our children are younger, can I tell you, if you're a parent of a young child, a young boy or a young girl, dads, you need to hear this. This is so important. If you're a dad here with your kids, the way that you demonstrate a husband or a man that loves God and loves, your, loves their little girl will be exactly the way that that little girl grows up to look for love in their relationships with other people. If we are absent in the way that we demonstrate Christ-likeness in the way that we love our young girls, they will grow up and find someone that loves them in a way that doesn't look like Jesus because nobody ever showed them what it needs to look like. The same thing applies to young boys, whether it's moms in the way that moms model relationship with Christ or I can say dads in the way that you relate, you model what it looks like to love Jesus. How many men grow up with bad examples of what it looks like to model Christ? 
I'm not asking for anybody to raise their hand on that one at all because I don't want to have anybody feel guilty or condemned in that. But can I tell you, in different measures, many, 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 many of us struggle because our family members and our parents brought junk in from their young ages and they carried them through their adult years and replicated it in their kids. And many of us are guilty of that in different measure. It seems like it's an impossible problem, but it's not impossible. God can fix this. God can change things. And he has changed things. He's made a way. And through his word, he's made a way so that things can change and things can be different. If you're a grandparent here today, pour in your grandkids. Continue to look for opportunities to pour into your children. If you have no kids or maybe you're a single parent, a single mom or a single dad, can I tell you, you can't do it all. It's not even healthy to try to figure out how you can do it all. Why? Because kids need to see what a mom looks like who loves God, and kids need to see what a dad looks like who loves God. And if you're unable to be both of them, which you can't, find people who can help you. It is so, so critical. Because as they grow up, they will remember those steps, and they'll remember the people that have poured into their lives. Why? Because they will have opportunity and example over and over again for people to model the mind of Christ and not the mind of the world. If you don't teach them the mind of Christ, the world will teach them the ways of the world. It doesn't work as if you do one and the other one might not happen. No, if you choose not to teach people the mind of Christ and to show them godliness, the world will take up the slack for you. It always does. And then we wonder, when we're older, why it seems harder and harder for people to stay connected to a relationship with Christ. This word can change your life and it can change everyone's life around you. We just have to be willing to let it do so. How do we do it? It's a good question. How do we do it? Maybe you've heard me this morning and said, yeah, I'm with you, but how do I do it? I'm going to give you a really simple, quick tool that you can use to learn how to read the Bible. How do you read the Bible? Simple acronym. It's called SOAP. And this may be things that you've heard before. It's not original to me or others. It's been around for generations. It's very, very uh, common. You can Google it. You can look at soap and just soap Bible study reading. But basically, there are four things that you can look at when you're looking at studying the Word of God. The first is Scripture. Then we have observation. We have application. And finally, we have prayer. Each letter stands for something different. What does each one of them mean? Briefly, I'm just going to show you and explain them through questions. Number one, Scripture. Basically, the question here is, what stands out to me? When you open the word of God and you're saying, how do I read this? What stands out to me? What stands out to me? What am I reading that pops out and jumps off the page to get my attention? Can I tell you, that is not coincidence. When something jumps off the page and gets your attention, it's the spirit of God trying to get your attention. Wow, I never saw that before. What do I do with that? I don't know where to go with that. What stands out to me is a very valid question, and that's the first step as you read. The second is observation, and it's this question. What is God saying? Or what is he saying about what stands out to me? Now, this is where it's helpful to have tools and to have research tools and to have commentaries and to have the internet 
with online tools. There's so many tools that you can have online to help you understand because some areas of scripture are really easy to understand. They're very literal. And there are others that you really need to have the cultural context behind them. And if you miss the cultural context, you might miss the whole point of what's trying to be said here. So it's important to know the differences between the two, but I don't want to overanalyze it. It's just important for us to recognize that sometimes knowing what God is saying is more simple and sometimes it's more difficult. But we really need to be able to unpack what is this about and how does this affect me? Which is the next question. Application. How can this change me? If you only read the scripture to put it in your head and you don't give it permission to change you, you're no different than a Pharisee in Jesus' time. See, they understood the Old Testament. They memorized most of the Bible. And yet Jesus called them what? Whitewashed tombs. Why? Because they knew the word of God in their head, but it did not change or impact them whatsoever. They were so cold and seared towards it that the word of God was only something that they understood through information, didn't allow the spirit of God to transform them. This is one of the most important questions to ask as you're walking through the exercise. How can this change me? When you let it change you, it changes everything. Everyone on my dad's side of the family didn't grow up Christian. My dad was a first-generation Christian from Jewish faith. On my wife's side, her parents, first-generation Christian, that really surrendered their heart to the Lord. And you look at the differences and where these families are today, and where their kids' kids are, and where their kids' kids' kids are going to be. And it's drastically different from where they came from. Why? Because it's not just a question of what do I know in my head. It's what do I allow God to change in my heart? How can this change me? Are you willing to let the word of God apply to your heart so that you can be transformed? The last question, Pastor Matt, if you guys can come as we get ready to close, is prayer. After you've understood or you've seen what stands out to you. And after you've observed what's happening and you know what God is saying, you understand the context of what's going on here. And you ask God, how can this change me? What are you trying to show me and how it can change my life? The last one is prayer. And the question is simple. How do I need God's help? How do I need God's help is the last question for you to consider this morning. You've got to be able to and willing to ask God to change you And then choose that prayer every day. Again, in the microwave society that we live in, change is something that we expect immediately. But God promises to walk with us each and every day of our life. So that when we ask him for help, he doesn't say, okay, I'm going to meet you on Sunday morning at Bridge at the 11 o'clock service, and then I'll see you again next Sunday. He says, no. Ask me for help and I will help you tomorrow when you get up. Ask me for help on Tuesday and I'll be there for you every day. I'll be there every hour. I'll be there every minute. But you need to be willing to ask him for help. I need to be willing to ask him for help. And can I tell you, that's where humility comes into the process. Because if we're not willing to be broken before God, we're never going to experience his transformed power. So many times over the years, So many times we wait, it seems, and this is the human condition. We wait for things to get so bad 
that we're at the bottom, at the bottom of the bottom of the bottom. And then when there's no other place for us to turn or we've lost almost everything and whatever's going on in our situation, it's at that moment that we say, well, I have nowhere else to turn. God, how can you help me? And the beauty of that is that God's always there and he wants to help. He wants to bring you away from the mind of man and reveal to you the mind of Christ. But can I tell you today, you don't need to wait until you're at the bottom of the bottom of the bottom. Every day we can choose. Every day we can practice and exercise the muscle of humility to say, I am not able to experience the change that you want me to have, Lord, unless you do it through me. I need you today. I need you right now. And that's where we are today. Learning from God is about opening your heart to fill your mind with the word of God so that he can transform your heart because we all need him. Would you stand with me this morning? Please. If you're here this morning, you just if, if what's being shared, if God just speaking to your heart, going to give an opportunity for people to be prayed over at the altar, but we're going to leave the altar open during the worship time as well. I'm going to invite you just to come if you feel led to just spend some time on your face before the Lord. Please don't care what anybody else in this room thinks or says or believes. This is about you and God. And if he's putting something on your heart today to say, you know that you need to take a step and do this, just respond to what God's asking you to do and trust him to meet you right where you are.